The God of Atheists by Stefan Molyneux, Chapter 86, Alter and Stephen Go Camping. Like most finished things, the end had been in the beginning. Joanne had used Alter to get babies. She did not love him, but had settled for him, which left her despising them both. Their marriage had been unraveling for a long, long time. There was something slippery and self-serving about Alder, even from the beginning. He had avoided questioning Joanne's attraction to him. He believed her out of his vanity, his faith in his specialness, not because of anything he did. We all want to be loved, he thought, but never went the next step, but loved for what? That had never been answered, and the marriage had become like a biplane in a sandstorm, droning on without navigation, without a destination, losing fuel, flown blindly on simply for fear of crashing. It was a gruesome decision for Joanne, mostly because it wasn't a decision, but a change that arrived full-born within her. I cannot live with this man. Perhaps she left him for fear of his effect on Stephen. The antagonism in the house was deeper than plumbing, and if so, it was ironic and completely predictable. She married him for the sake of the baby, and left him for the sake of the son. For Alder, the end of his marriage opened up almost bottomless wounds. To lose career and wife and son within a week and he did see it as a loss, not as a giving up, was an agony larger and deeper than any part of his personality that he knew consciously. How did I get here? He thought, that stupid talking head song starting up in his head every time he played with the frayed edges of the question. He sat in a bare, unfurnished apartment about forty minutes by bus from his old home. Even through his grim haze of pain, Alder knew that he had to find some way to patch things up with his son, and so decided to take him camping. Since he had separated from Joanne, Alder had taken up strenuous exercise. Tottering to bed on exhausted legs was the only way he could get any sleep. It took some time to convince Stephen to come camping. There was a lot of schoolwork, apparently. But eventually he came, and a silent war emerged as they hiked. Alter desperately wanted to impress his son to do anything to win his favor, in other words, except change or listen. So he set a demanding pace. Stephen was far from athletic in that aspect. He was a stereotypical thinker. And when Alter heard his son panting as they climbed and climbed, he stopped and turned his head. Breathe steadily and easily. It will help. Stephen raised a pink, dizzy face to his father. I'm thirsty. We don't have a lot of water. Suck on a stone. It will help. So they marched on, and Alder found himself playing a game. If I walk far enough ahead, he will see how athletic his father is, but not too far. That will make me look uncaring. Stephen was silent when they made camp. 
After a dinner of baked beans and silver-wrapped Salisbury steak, Alder tied the food up on a rub, and the two of them sat staring at the flat, blue evening lake, listening to the loons. <sighs> Here comes the father-son chat, thought Stephen dismally. So, how are you doing, old matey? asked Alder. This was an ancient nickname from a long-gone little sailor's outfit. Good, said Stephen, rubbing his eyes painfully. What does he want? Alder cupped his hands over his mouth and imitated the sound of a loon. I used to camp a lot when I was young, before I met your mother, when holidays had to be cheap. He laughed. <laughs> Guess I'll have to get used to that again. There was a pause. Alder shivered. Warm enough? Uh-huh. So... I'm tired, said Stephen, getting up. I'm going to bed. Good Lord, said Alder, glancing at his watch. It's nine o'clock. He was struck by an odd thought. He had a digital watch, and whenever anyone asked him the time, he translated it into old time. He would say, not 9.13, but a quarter past nine. But then another thought slammed into him like the recoil of a silent shotgun. It's almost too late, you idiot. Open your mouth. Stephen, said Alder, and it was almost a shock. In his family, they used each other's names so rarely, Stephen didn't even have a sibling to separate him from. Stephen hesitated, then sat back down. Yeah. Alder took a deep breath. I... Brought you out here because I thought you'd like it. You know, be be because I like it. And and it will it will be harder for us to, to get to know each other now. Now that... that I, I don't want to come between you and your mother. Her decision to end things is her own, and, 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 and I have to respect that. And, and you know, I, I didn't always have the easiest time with my own parents. My father, especially. That's... <laughs> That's not surprising, given our... He inhaled, then exhaled with a... Hmm. I don't know. Life sometimes seems to come down to times like these. Everything goes by so fast. It's like two days ago I was learning to drive. Y you were born this morning. That happens when you get older. You don't know that yet. Everyone says it, and, 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 and it's true. Alder could feel Stephen's attention wandering, and he tried to rally his random troops of truth. But, uh, but, but you and I disagree about a lot of things. We always have, I think. You hated me giving you the bottle, and I could never settle you when you woke up at night. Another thing your mom's mad about, I guess. Alder shook his head. His thoughts kept floating, skidding. It was like trying to turn a magazine page underwater. Maybe that's the, the point of family, le le learning how to get along with people who are very different from you, who, who, who you wouldn't maybe choose as, as, as friends. I, 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 mean, I mean, we're not friends, he added, hastily glancing at Stephen, knowing his son's dislike of buddy dads. But, but we wouldn't, we, we don't ag agree on a lot of things. I've, I've tried to learn from you. I, I don't want to talk about ideas, not, not tonight, not, not out here. They're so... Heartless. They, they can be heartless. They, they, they can be a way not to listen to people. I think, I, think, I think we've allowed our disagreements on ideas to color, to, 
to cloud our relationship. I mean, I don't even know what your favorite movie is. Stephen opened his mouth, but Alda raised his hand. I mean, we can talk about that after. It's not just that, it's... But I know you're a thinker, maybe the best in the family, I don't know, and, and that we think different things, but that shouldn't mean that... I mean, even Plato and Aristotle were friends, you know. It's, it's, it's not... Everything's not a crusade. I, I don't mean... He floundered, desperate to stem his desire to correct his son, but you're welcome to think of me what you want. I, I know I'm not a perfect dad. It's, it's not, not something I gave a lot of thought to, you know, when I was younger. It just comes and bam, I have, what are they called now, issues? It's, kids are like, they just, they just open you up and root around and, and, and you want to tell them to be careful, but they don't care. It's just curiosity, I know, but it hurts. Not that it's your fault. Oh, Ugh, shut up, babblehead. I, I just wanted to tell you that I really, really respect you, Stephen. You are an unbelievable kid. Any, any parent would be proud. And, and I am proud. I just, I just wish we didn't rub each other the, the wrong way so much. I mean, some is okay. That's necessary, the spice of life. But, but there's something more fundamental between us. There was a pause. An owl hooted softly. The mystery ripples of underwater life spread slowly over the perfect lake. What do you think? asked Alder. His neck was tense. It felt as if his son held the power of salvation. About what? asked Stephen after a moment. What I'm saying. I thought you were just Talking, Dad, you know, getting things off your chest. Yeah, yeah, I was, I guess. But still, Alder felt slighted, his lip curled in hurt, like a poked worm. Do you think we'll ever be able to get along? Along how? Like Christmases and birthdays? Sure, sure, sure we can. No, no, I mean get along, respect each other. Stephen stared at the fire. He said something, but so softly. What? You want me to approve of you, repeated Stephen, just slightly louder. Approve? Alter flinched visibly. No. No, I just w want to know how you feel. I feel sad said Stephen. He picked a stick out of the fire and blew brightness on the red end. Sad. Sad that... Just sad. Are you mad as well? Mad. Sometimes, yeah. At me? Stephen nodded. Because we fight all the time? Because... Because... Some feeling seemed to crest in Stephen, then subsided like a tent sinking over broken supports. Alder nodded slowly. When I, when Joanne was going to have you, I, I thought of things like this, you know, teaching you about the solar system under the stars, manly things, hardware, girls. Alder's voice broke. But every... 
but everything went wrong somewhere. Like, like I, we were cursed. I said this, you, you said that, your mom said go away. I wanted everything to be something, something else, something nice and sweet. A tear trickled down his grimy face. Maybe I've done wrong in my way, but this is too harsh, too hard. Everything was supposed to be different. He sobbed, slightly lowering his head to his hands. Stephen closed his eyes and dreamed of running deep into the dark woods. This is it, he thought dully. The end of it all. My father is crying, and this is the worst thing in the world. He's crying, and all I feel is boredom. Chapter 87. Gordon is summoned. Gordon, smiled Bez, rising from behind his desk and shaking the young man's hand. Thanks for coming in. I just wanted to let you know what's happening with your... situation. Professor Alder has been fired, but he's part of a union, so he's appealing. He's got a good chance. Plagiarism is hard to prove. Gordon thought for a moment. Do you think he stole my idea? Of course he did, Gordon. Bez stopped as Gordon snuffled in a deep, sobbing breath. He said nothing for a moment, then pulled out a handkerchief from his breast pocket and handed it over his desk. Sorry, said Gordon, exhaling. That's the first time someone other than my friends have said so. Well, you never doubted it, did you? No, no, of course not. It's not that I doubted what happened, but, but I doubted... It seemed invisible to everyone else, or... Irrelevant. Oh, thanks. I, I, I should probably wash this before I give it back. Don't worry about it. So, you're doing your master's now, right? Uh, well, I haven't finished it. What with all that's been going on, there, there, there didn't seem to be much point, and, and I wasn't in the mood. I think you should finish it and teach a class. Gordon frowned. Uh, a class? I can't make you a TA at the end of term, but I think you should teach a few summer classes. But not a course? Bez laughed. And you're welcome. Certainly a course in time, but I have to see you teach first. Thanks. No, really, that, that means a lot, to teach. And you have to finish your thesis, of course. I'll be your advisor. Y you? Well, that really means something, and I'm, I might need a lot of your help. How so? I've got a good idea for my PhD. Really? Do tell, I need to get published as well. Bez smiled. Sorry, bad joke. Well, said Gordon, leaning forward in the praying mantis crouch he used when he talked about his ideas. It's a legal work. What? Is, is this the right faculty? No, no, wait, listen, said Gordon, waving his hands. Okay, we have these laws, these hate literature laws, right? Anything which advocates hatred against a particular person or group is illegal, right? Yes, but it's complicated, no doubt. That's why it's a PhD thesis. So let's say that I found a group of documents which says that the murder of homosexuals, the beating of women, and drowning of atheists are all moral actions. Would they be illegal under the hate literature laws? Bez frowned. The idea slowly fell into him. 
There was an almost inaudible whistling in the room. The impact came, and his eyes almost bugged out. You want to ban the Bible? Gordon giggled. It was not mad, but pure joy. He nodded rapidly, his eyes gleaming. And the Koran! What? What are you talking about? I'm talking about the banning of hate literature. That guy out in B.C. found guilty of saying the Holocaust was a myth. What about a book which advocates the legal separation of Jews into second-class citizens? Or the Koran, which says that unfaithful women can be stoned to death? These books have no place in a civilized society. But do you agree with the hate literature laws? No, of course not. The government has no right to control language. So... So... I have a hate on for religion the size of Mount Sinai. Those books are ghastly. So are the hate literature laws. Let's drag the two wriggling into the ring. Now that's a fight I want front row seats to. Bez stared at the silver light in Gordon's eyes and thought, I really think I shall end up as a disciple of this new age. Chapter 88 Al and Greta and Ian and Sarah. Well, Gret, said Al as they stared at their spreadsheet, a spreadsheet with far too many red and bracketed numbers. We are well and truly fucked. She sighed. Fuck my ass we are. They had bought a pack of cigarettes. They were ex-smokers with the enviable ability to indulge on occasion. Okay, said Al, squinting at the screen. We can keep the RSPs. We lose the house. The cars, what's left of the savings. The kids will have to be pulled out of private school. No more riding for Sarah. (laughs) Holy shit, he grinned in the kind of smile that comes from being so mired in horror that there's nothing else to do. The freakiest thing is that I don't feel too bad. Huh, said Greta, lighting another smoke. Ah, I mean, it was all bullshit in a way. We're getting back to basics, back to our roots. He gestured around the study, taking in the house as a whole. All this shit was getting on my nerves anyway. Greta scowled. There were better ways of getting rid of it. Don't turn on me now, Gret, warned Al. We both agreed to back the band. Yeah, I know. She took a deep drag. It was a gamble, but I, I thought the gamble was whether they would make it. Not whether Justin would flip his little blonde gourd like that. Well, that was a spin, no doubt, said Al, shaking his head. So, when do you want to tell the kids? She sighed. Now, I guess. Let me finish my smoke. Yeah, and uh, I'll have another one. Al lit one up and took a deep pull. He had a habit of puffing out half a mouthful of smoke before drawing the rest into his lungs. Same chance of mouth cancer, he thought, but only half of lung cancer. I wonder if this will bring Dave and Co. down, he wondered in little smoky syllables. Probably we can get caught up in the welfare line, Al grinned. (laughs) Yeah, Dave on welfare. It's almost worth becoming poor to see that. I was thinking, said Greta, stubbing out her cigarette, we should get out of Toronto. Yeah, one step ahead of the pack of ninja creditors. No, I mean, we're fucked in the money hole, so let's pitch camp somewhere up north, regroup, figure out what we want to do next. Someplace cheap, Timmins. Uh, It's been quite a couple of months. Superstar band, brink of fame, bankruptcy. He finished his cigarette. Okay, I'm done. Let's go get the kids. Right, kids, we have uh, some bad news, said Al after they all sit down. Mom and Dad have to declare bankruptcy. 
Alice, that means I know, Dad, said Alice gravely. Sarah and I were just talking about it. Huh, said Al, brightening a bit. So the bugles are in the same boat? Yeah, I think so. Huh, well, be that as it may, his family groaned. They hated that phrase. Sorry. Whatever happens, we've got to cut back. I'm not talking trim. This is going to be one heavy crew cut. We've got a list of things, of stuff, that has to go. Alice wrinkled up her nose. Have you guys been smoking? Give us a break, Alice, said Greta, unfolding a piece of paper. Okay, here comes the pain. Private school, Ian sat up. What? He cried. Sorry, son, said Al. Oh, man, that's beyond bullshit. I have, like, two years to go. You want me to switch to a public school with the plebes? Hey, cried Greta. Listen, it's not about what we want. It's about facts. We're all giving up what we want. What are you giving up? Snarled Ian. Days at the spa? Boo-hoo. Okay, son, said Al. Simmer down. This is how it's going to be. We can make all these decisions with or without your input. Suits us either way. You get all bitchy, we go it alone. Got it? Ian thrust himself back in his armchair, averting his face. Whatever. Al's face darkened. That's not good enough. I've lost everything I've worked at for 20 years. You don't see me pulling a hissy fit. Yeah, said Ian. Did you ask me if you should put the money into the goddamn band? That was your decision. Oh, but you didn't mind the videos, did you? demanded his father. You didn't mind recording. You weren't that concerned with the money when it suited you, right? Oh, yeah, nothing exploitive about any of it, right, Dad? Oh, it was all for little old me. Your needs never entered into the equation, right? You old brittle cream saint, you. You goddamn little Al, cried Greta, jumping up. Alice! What? Okay, okay, said Al, raising his hands. All right, well, we, we really need to turn the heat down a little here. Greta, finish the list, then we can be free to turn on each other like jackals. Okay, said Greta, taking a deep breath. Now... We also lose the house, riding, skiing, holidays, anytime soon. The cars, they're leased, not bought. Credit cards, cell phones, Alice groaned, despite herself. Uh, The internet connection, our computers, also leased through Al's business. Okay, that's it, said Al. Of course, there may be more, but that's all we can think of. Our creditors may disagree. There was a pause. Ian glared at the wall. Finally, Alice spoke. I think it's okay, she said. Thanks, sweetie, sighed Greta. That's great, said Al warily. I mean, your business wasn't doing well, and Ian was going to have to get really skinny. Al frowned. What? Never mind, scowled Ian. Christ, Alice! You know, said Al delicately, we do have uh, one other card to play. Greta glanced at him, then at Alice. Alice's perfect eyes widened. No, she said. Al's mouth widened. It was, he hoped, an inviting smile. His family drew back slightly. But, sweetie, he cajoled, you're so beautiful. Just a couple of shots, just to see. Dad, said Ian, don't go there. Yeah, well, sighed Al. Then he brightened. Can you sing, sweetie? Dad, cried Alice, jumping to her feet. She suddenly seemed ten feet tall. No, that's all about stuff. And stuff isn't that important. I mean, look at us. We're we're fighting because we're not getting what we want, because we're greedy for stuff. 
But don't you see? Her voice suddenly broke into an emotional depth that made everyone else in the room suddenly dizzy. Alice's small frame was wild with passion, and she cried out, Don't you see that we should be greedy for each other, not for stuff? There was a pause. The statement hit hard. Greta blinked, suddenly feeling close to tears. Come here, sweetie, she said, closing her eyes. Alice stepped forward and fell into the enfolding harbor of her mother's wide arms. Chapter 89 Ian Falls An hour after the sun had set, Justin heard the twisting click of his door opening, and a shadowy form entered his room. He watched the grey shape for a moment or two as it deposited something on his desk. His mind, aching with exhaustion, took its own bitter time to come up with the name. Ian, said Justin softly. The figure froze. Yeah, what? What are you doing? Justin imagined the figure shrugging. It was too dark to see for sure. Your mom bitched at me to drop off your homework, so I thought you'd be asleep. Doesn't matter. Good night. The figure retreated to the dark door towards the faint, flickering strobes of downstairs TV. Do you ever have trouble sleeping, Ian? Asked Justin, his voice breaking a little. Don't fish for sympathy, Justin, said the shape, still moving. We're a little dry here, okay, Slugger? Nobody has come by. Odd that. Night. Why? Justin struggled up to his elbows, kicking at his tangled covers. I mean, did you start to take it all seriously? I, I mean, even a, even a little? The shape paused at the door, obviously wanting to both leave and unburden. I mean, said Justin, even if people came and yelled at me, that that would... Did you ask, did I take it seriously? Sure, if that's a question you want to answer, I mean. The shape loomed closer, and then there was a creak, and a small part of Justin's bed descended slightly. Justin squinted, but the light was too faint. It was a face without features. I have no problem answering that question, but I need a smidgen of direction. Huh? What part? Justin, do you mean when you ask, did I take this seriously? Ian, sighed Justin, just skip the stagey repetitions and answer. Sure, said Ian tightly, happy to take your advice. I did not take the boy band seriously, no. But you know what? I really, really did take some of the potential income quite seriously indeed. You have a big daddy CEO at your beck and call, so you can afford to turn ebony on a whim. We, the rest of us, though, are a little more bound by petty bourgeois reality. We got a little more fucked by your streetwise tantrum. So, yeah, I did take it seriously. And no, we can't be best buds anymore, no matter how big and begging your eyes get in the dark, okay? Is that what you were looking for, sunshine? Ian stood up suddenly, and Justin bounced a little in his bed. Get 
he whispered. What? Get mad at me, croaked Justin. Don't be, you know, all bitchy and verbal. Just, just be, be mad at me. Tell me. Justin laughed derisively. Oh, so now you're telling me how to be angry. That's fucking rich, Justin. He leaned over in the dark and Justin felt a little scared. I'll tell you what, said Ian. You go ask your parents, pretty please, to have a look at your little boy band special. And then maybe you'll have a little fucking humility before you start lecturing people about healthy anger management. All right? Justin swallowed. Just tell, tell me straight, Ian. It's all, it's all twisting around. I, 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 I don't know where. Look, Justin, said Ian standing at the door. You were a cool kid once, I guess. We had some laughs. We'll always have Paris. I don't know where this gay little Dr. Phil act is coming from, all bambi-eyed and reaching for a kinder, gentler world. Best of luck with it, though, though it wears thin for me, PDQ. But if you want to know the truth, just now you look like yet another tender, wounded, self-obsessed, and self-pitying little whiner. Yeah, your parents aren't always exactly on the up and up. Ooh, what a shocker. Welcome to the race. My dad sort of fucks people for money. Okay, it's his choice. I can live with it. I accept that because I'm not fucking 12 years old anymore. I I don't want to see my parents anymore, said Justin, his face averted, awaiting the blow that always follows originality. There was a short pause. Justin could not hear Ian breathing. Canned laughter arose from downstairs. Yeah, said Ian finally. Yeah, I can see that. You just don't get it. You're only oppressed by lift tickets because you want to go skiing. You're going to give that up. I can see that. Justin shuddered, shaking his head in the dark as if his hands were bound and spiders crawled in his hair. Everything is just a posture. I can't see anything real when you talk. You can't give up your family, said Ian simply. It's impossible. You can run away, but you can't separate. Everyone has to deal. Your parents will follow you everywhere you go in your head. Ian's voice seemed to be emptying itself out. There's no escape. You'll just miss them later if you bolt now. After they die, you'll regret not learning how to deal with them. You will just repeat everything. His words grew softer and softer. They're not perfect. You're not perfect. We're all on the same rowboat, far out at sea. No one gets away. I know you hate me, said Justin, his throat seeming to close in. But let me say something, just, just for a minute, and then you can go away and hate me forever. Ian sighed, two pale hands spread in the dark like faint doves flying apart. Whatever. Justin paused. He tried to organize his thoughts and feelings, then gave up and just opened his mouth.
everyone says there's nothing more important than family. But no family I know is close. They just hang around each other and, and no one ever says anything. It's just gossip and nothing and how's work and how are the kids and seen any good movies. And it's just noise and nothing. It scares me. And everyone troops back to these empty nests all the time for Thanksgiving and anniversaries and Christmas and everything. And they sit around and talk and joke and never know anything about each other. And everyone thinks that you have to, right? That you have to go and see your family. and that Nothing is more important than say, what do you mean you don't want to come over for your mother's birthday? And everyone is all shocked if you ask any important questions. I, I mean, what's wrong with asking, do I like my parents? Is my sister a good person? Do I respect them? Are they... Are they uh, are, they, are they decent, upright, m m moral? Everyone says, love your family for, for who they are, no matter what. But what, 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 what if they're bad people? Or just, 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 just boring? Or self-centered, shallow, vain, stupid people? Are we supposed to waste our lives trying to make them feel better or hang around them, though we feel nothing, just to keep them from feeling lonely? And what if they've treated us badly? What do we owe our family? Are they above the law? Should I, should I love a girl who treats me badly? Should, should I love a stranger who does wrong, who is cruel or, or doesn't listen? Why is family so different? Well, wait, 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 I'm almost done, I'm almost done. Because I think I know, Ian. I, I, think, I, think, I think that there is only one thing that we owe our families, or anyone. And that thing is justice. If your parents have been good to you, then you owe them your love and respect. And if they have been bad, you owe them nothing, nothing, less than. And the only people who say otherwise, who say that you should be good to bad people no matter how bad they are, are people who are also bad, who are scared by being judged because, because they have done wrong and Ian jumped up. Okay, shut the fuck up. That's, en that's enough. I, I think we've heard just enough. Uh, <laughs> you think I'm in league with the forces of evil because I tell you running away won't solve your problems? Fine. But I don't have to sit and listen to all this bullshit, all right? His voice became slow, insultingly condescending. So I'm going to go now, princess, and you be sure to get a good night's sleep like all do-gooding little princesses should, okay? Justin cried out in pain. Don't, Ian. Aren't you curious, like, like a bit, about where you came from and about how to, how to live? Ian laughed, leaning over the bed like a pillar of black ash. No, Justin. The only thing I'm even mildly curious about is how you became such a pretentious, moralizing 
little prick. With that, Ian stood, turned, and walked out through the black doorway. He paused on the landing, his heart pounding. He thought of Justin, lying in bed, words like arrows through his organs. Then he laughed again and strode down the stairs. And it was very odd, even outside, under the streetlights, he felt as if he were still striding down without sound into the depths of the rest of his life. Hours later, in the darkest hour of night, Sarah came in and found Justin sitting up in his bed. Hey, sis, he said softly. Hey, bro, she said, are you okay? Okay, yeah, sort of. He smiled and she almost didn't recognize him. I want to talk to you about something. She ducked her head. I've, uh, I've been coming in. I, I never knew if you knew. I, I, I hope that's okay. Yeah. Listen, I knew sometimes. I, I really appreciate it. He patted his eider down. Come on up here. I, are you warm enough? She climbed onto the bed. Yeah, it's like they're trying to sweat you out. <laughs> he smiled. Now listen. I want to know what you and Stephen and Alice talk about. There was a pause. Okay. Why? Because you guys have some kind of inner circle and I want in. You want in? You guys have some critique. I'm going to open the window. Justin crawled out of bed and instantly felt how weak his legs had become. He opened the window wide and got back into bed, panting slightly. Just tell me what you talk about. Well, said Sarah, her eyes lighting up. It's not like a clique or anything. We can talk. Stephen's got this idea, you know, that that everyone just talks about being good, but, but, but that it's just talk and no one really does it. She hopped up, sitting on her heels. I mean, not just because they're bad people, but because... We've sort of just got these, these words, like, like goodness and, and truth from the past, when people really believed in these things, and, and that no one today would be able to invent these words if they hadn't just come to us, like, like a dumb kid with rich parents, he says. Justin laughed. It's not exactly Sweet Valley High, is it? No, said Sarah seriously. Actually, Stephen thinks most everyone is lying. Alice and me said, it's not that people are lying. Like, if people don't know, are they responsible? She paused. So that's when he said, Okay, let's look at our families. Why? Because, he said, that's where we'd be the kindest. Just cause. So we were supposed to take notes about our families and see if they were good or... or not. Huh, okay. So what has this done for you, this, this notebook? He reached out and touched it where it hung from her throat. What's in there? Our family, said Sarah simply. Me? Not so much. Just just mom and dad, mostly. What have you got? I'll say the why, then the what. Sarah flipped on the bedside light, opened her notebook, and read from the third page. 
Are people bad, mad, or dumb? If they're bad, that, that part's underlined, if they're bad, they know what goodness is, but just pretend they don't. If they're mad, they can't know what it is. If they're dumb, they could know, just don't yet. So first of all, find out whether our parents know what goodness is, and then find out if they do it. She glanced up. There's a lot of underlining. And what did you come up with? Sarah eyed him shrewdly, closing her notebook. Well, bro, you would be able to get out of bed if you really didn't know the answer to that question. Didn't? Oh, oh I see. You think I know it, but don't really know it. Yeah, something like. So you think they're bad people? Sarah nodded slowly. Justin whistled softly, then scowled. How the fuck do you come up with that at twelve? Don't make that face. If you're acting like some forty-year-old after five years of therapy, you can survive a swear word. Sarah screwed her face up, waving her hands. It's just... are people happy? I mean, without Stephen, Alice and me would be where you are now. Or were, since you're talking to me now, at least. And without us, Stephen would be like you on TV, yelling, you know, all, all, all purple. Justin smiled. So are you going to be Mom and Dad's friend? He asked after a moment. Huh? I mean, when you grow up, are you going to come back for Christmas and plan their wedding anniversaries? Sarah frowned. Perhaps the idea had never occurred to her. Don't know, she said, then sniffed and wiped an eye. Doubt it. So you'll let them grow old alone? It was cruel, but he couldn't help asking. He needed guidance. I mean, they provided for us. Don't know, said Sarah, looking down. She suddenly froze and took a quick breath. I'm going to ask a creepy question, okay? Okay. Sarah nodded slowly, then raised her head and gazed straight into her brother's eyes. You know, Justin... You're lying in bed because you're waiting for mom and dad to come and listen. It was only about 13 seconds before the tears came to him. But come they did, and Sarah hugged her brother and whispered, But they never will. They never will. They never will. And then Justin slept for almost 17 hours straight. And when he woke up, the world was white with new light. Chapter 90, Gordon's First Lesson Gordon stood at the podium. A mottled sea of blank undergraduate faces rose before him like an enormous, frozen, indifferent wave. All right, he said, hands up everyone in first year. Most of the hands went up. Good, good. Now, let's see. The average wage for 19-year-olds not in school is about $25,000 per year. 
You will be at university for four years. That's a little over $120,000. You'd get some raises in four years. Throw in tuition, living expenses, books, about $15,000 a year, even if you live in a shoebox like I do. So, all told, about $180,000 to get your degrees. Any questions? The room was silent. Okay, I, I told you that because your minds are wandering. It's okay. But here's the thing. It's costing you almost $200,000 to be here. He smiled. I suggest you get your money's worth. The room was silent. A few asses shifted. None of them had woken up, not really, but they were curious, which was not a bad start. This is a course on moral philosophy, continued Gordon, which means that I am going to teach you all about subjugation. It is my belief that the greatest challenge of the modern world is to redefine subjugation so that we can limit ourselves without lies. Gordon paused. You may as well know, right up front, that I am an atheist. But that is not all that I am. I do not believe in God or, or the supernatural. I am also an individualist, like most of you, at least in your personal lives, in that I believe that the individual is everything and the group nothing. Now, the individualism of the modern world has been the source of great growth and great destruction. We have, as a whole, cast off God, rank, and patriotism, which were the three great forces limiting the will of the individual in the past. We no longer pray to God for guidance, and we have no aristocracy to obey, and we rarely serve our country. And I, for one, uh, don't think that's a bad thing. However, we have also cast off ethics. We have become vain agnostics. We have not gotten rid of God. We have just replaced him with ourselves. I believe that in the modern world, the God of atheists is still a holy trinity. It is composed of vanity, insecurity, and greed. Vanity is the belief that we are above rules. Vanity is the belief that we are entitled to things regardless of how we get them. And we are vain because we no longer believe in ethics. And I don't mean the easy ethics, the don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat you got from your kindergarten teachers. I mean real ethics. The ethics which deny easy and destructive pleasures and can pinpoint how lying, stealing, and cheating mask themselves in ambition, pride, and greed. Ethics that predict the future and ban action in the present. Our lack of belief in ethics causes us to act on the spur of the moment, to be blind to the difficulty of acting rightly. And the result is that we act in haste and repent at leisure. Gordon smiled. I also believe in the conscience, which is the slow, steady, and unstoppable force for truth and consequence in our minds. If we act wrongly, we may get away with it in the world, but we are always condemned in our hearts. It is my belief that most people want to do the right thing, but are hampered by a lack of understanding. So we, you, I, all of us, tend to do what we think is right, or at least acceptable, and then find ourselves becoming depressed or manic, or unhappy, disquieted, and then have no real idea how to solve our problems, let alone prevent them. The purpose of this course 
is to teach you how to understand ethics so that you can live in peace when the sky is clear and rise with arms to meet the storms. The room was silent. The undergrads had clearly not expected this. There was a sense of elevation in the vast room, as if they had all been raised to a great height, to a worldly heaven, where only words and understanding could prevent their fall. All right, smiled Gordon, jumping down from the podium. Let's begin. This concludes the reading of the novel The God of Atheists by Stefan Molyneux of Free Domain Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this novel and, of course, for your donations, which have given you access to this work of fiction. And I look forward to seeing you on the boards. And thank you again for listening. I will talk to you soon. Donations, of course, are more than welcome.